0: Romans chapter six, verse five says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This verse contains a great promise, a great promise to be united with Jesus in resurrection, to experience a type of life that doesn't come naturally to us. But this verse also contains a great condition. That condition is being united with Jesus in a death like his. I want you to consider this phrase, a death like his. A death like his. Even tonight, people who don't regularly go to church, people who would not necessarily call themselves Christians, know that Jesus died on a Roman cross. He was nailed through the hands and through the feet. a tree. Crucifixion is what Cicero, the Roman historian, called the most extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves and the cruelest and most disgusting penalty. Josephus, a Jewish historian, called crucifixion the most pitiable of deaths. This is what Seneca, a Roman philosopher who lived about the same time as Jesus had to say about crucifixion. He said, can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb or letting out his life drop by drop rather than expiring once for all? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long, sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly welts on shoulders and chest and drawing the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony? He would have many excuses for dying even before mounting the cross. Please don't let pieces of gold jewelry or images on stained glass be your picture of crucifixion. When we say a death like his, when we speak of the cross of Jesus Christ, we speak of something truly barbaric, horrific, bloody, and ugly. United With a death like his. Jesus' death was one of great suffering. Jesus suffered physically. This we know. Jesus suffered a tremendous amount of physical pain. The night that Jesus was arrested, he was then kept awake all night. Going from meeting to false trial to conversation with different leaders. Have have you been kept awake all night recently? Do you know the toll that that takes on your body? As Jesus was brought into custody and as Jesus went from meeting to meeting to meeting, his captors roughed him up. They hit him in the face, they slapped him, they kicked him around. This is before he was ever sentenced. This is before he was ever executed. This was just transport. Being struck and mocked and beaten up. The Roman governor, Pilate, thought, well, maybe I can punish Jesus enough so that the the religious leaders will say, okay, that's good enough. He doesn't have to die. And so he took Jesus and had him scourged where a cat of nine tails, a handle with, with leather straps, and at the end of each leather strap, either a, a piece of rock or a nail or a piece of bone attached to the end. And it was, it was whipped across his back, across his legs, across the flesh of his shoulders. So that quite literally, his flesh was hanging in ribbons off of his body. And then, as if that weren't enough, a, a rugged piece of timber was placed across his shoulders and Jesus was then forced to carry his own crossbeam from the place of his scourging to a hill called Golgotha, the, the hill of the skull. And then after all of that, being kept awake all night, being hit, being struck, being scourged, Jesus' hands and feet were stretched out, and he was nailed to that cross. Jesus suffered physically. But there's more. Jesus suffered emotionally. This whole ordeal started on Thursday night with Judas, one of his 12 disciples, walking up to him face to face, kissing him on the cheek and saying, greetings, all the while, it being nothing more than a ruse to help the soldiers know which person to arrest. Jesus, when he was in custody, stood before a mock trial. They had a, a, a kangaroo court of sorts in the middle of the night where the Bible tells us that false witnesses were brought up to speak lies about Jesus. Jesus. Have you ever had someone lie about you and you were unable to speak up for yourself or defend yourself? Have you felt that type of emotional distress? Jesus, while he's going through these trials, while he's having people lie about him, one of his closest friends, the disciple Peter, one of the three closest companions to Jesus, repeatedly said, I was never with Jesus. I don't even know the man. Turning his back and betraying the one who had walked so closely with him for these last few years. As Jesus was paraded in front of the crowds, Pilate, the governor, stood up in front of the crowd and said, There's a tradition, I can release one criminal to you. We'll offer a pardon. Would you like me to release Jesus, the so-called king of the Jews, the one who claims to be the Messiah, or would you like me to release Barabbas, this known killer? Which one would you like me to release back into the population? The people called for Barabbas. Kill Jesus. We want the murderer set free. And as Jesus walked up to the hill of Golgotha, and as Jesus was crucified on that Roman cross, the Bible tells us that people hurled insults at him. They spit on him. Do you know how degrading that is to have someone spit on you? Mocking him. He said he was the king of the Jews. He said he was the Christ. He can't even get himself off of that cross. Oh yeah, he's gonna deliver the people of God. Oh yeah, he's gonna rescue Israel can't even rescue himself. What a failure. Jesus suffered physically. Jesus suffered emotionally. Now, I would say to you that on those two accounts, Jesus' crucifixion wasn't particularly special. Everyone who was crucified suffered physically. Everyone who was crucified suffered emotionally. And in fact, the Romans used crucifixion quite a lot. There are accounts from historians that even during the childhood years of Jesus, there was one scene where as many as 2,000 people were crucified lining a road, a major thoroughfare so that people would see just what happens if you rebel against Rome. But there's an element of Jesus' crucifixion, the death like his, that is unlike anything that anyone else ever experienced. And it's the spiritual suffering that Jesus went through. Jesus suffered spiritually more so than just physically or emotionally. He suffered spiritually because what was happening behind the scenes, the authors of the Bible tell us behind the scenes, Jesus was actually experiencing the wrath of God being poured out because of the sins that you and I have committed. The night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, Luke tells us in chapter 22 of his gospel that Jesus was in agony as he prayed. Think about this. This is no mere emotional suffering. This is during prayer. He's in so much agony, Luke tells us, that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus is in agony knowing that he's going to face the full wrath of his heavenly father. And Matthew tells us in his gospel that as Jesus was hanging on the cross at about the ninth hour, this is in the afternoon, one of the last things that Jesus ever said, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the one who has existed for all of eternity in a perfect relationship of love and unity and community with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now on the cross is experiencing separation. No love, no unity, no joy, no outpouring, no giving, just wrath. Just agony, just rejection from his heavenly father experiencing what our sins deserved. That's that's a death like his. Jesus suffered physically. Jesus suffered emotionally. Jesus suffered spiritually. And as I share that with you, think of the words of the apostle Paul in Romans 6 when he says, to be united with Christ in a death like his, maybe the question comes to your mind, why in the world would I want to be united with that? Some of you might even be saying, wait a minute, I thought the whole point of Jesus dying was that so I didn't have to. I've read John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die but have everlasting life. That is very true in one sense. That is absolutely true. Christ died so that we wouldn't have to, so we wouldn't have to experience eternal separation from God. Yet the Bible is clear. All throughout the pages of the New Testament from the lips of Jesus and Paul and the other apostles, there is a call for us to find ourselves United with Jesus in his death. United with Jesus in his death. And I want to show you four things from the New Testament what that means. What does it mean to be united with Christ? And the place where we have to start is this we are united with Christ in his death because we caused it. We are united with Christ. Because our sin caused his death. There's a a sermon in Acts chapter two. This is the apostle Peter, the same one who denied Jesus. He's preaching the first sermon after the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the father. Peter is preaching to this great crowd of people who have gathered into the city of Jerusalem quite literally from the entire known world. He's preaching to them about Jesus, and he says these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and then he looked at the people and he says, you crucified him, and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. Now, on the one hand, these people were not the ones who stretched out Jesus' hands and nailed him to the cross? These are not the Roman soldiers he's preaching to. He's preaching to a great crowd of people, quite literally from every nation on the earth. But Peter looks right at them and he says, Morally, you are responsible. It is your sin that necessitated the death of the Son of God. The cross is ugly because our sin is ugly. You want to know how God feels about sin? You look at the cross. Our rebellion against God is just that horrific. There's a a pastor, English pastor named John Stott, who put it this way. We ourselves are also guilty. If we were in their place, we would have done what they did. Indeed, we have done it. For whenever we turn away from Christ, we are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. He's quoting from Hebrews chapter six. We too sacrifice Jesus to our greed like Judas, to our envy like the priests, to our ambition like Pilate. Were you there when they crucified, my Lord? The old Negro spiritual asks. And we must answer, yes, we were there. Not as spectators only, but as participants, guilty participants, plotting, scheming, betraying, bargaining, and handing him over to be crucified. We may try to wash our hands of responsibility like Pilate, but our attempt will be as futile as his, for there is blood on our hands. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Whether we like it or not, we are united with Christ in his death because our sin caused it. That should lead us to repentance, amen? That should lead us to a brokenheartedness. That should lead us to a falling on our faces and crying out for mercy. And actually, this is where the news gets good because we're united with Christ in his death because he stood in our place. Jesus traded places with us. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible says, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. The one who knew no sin. Do you know that Jesus' death is even that much more unjust? Because Jesus is the most innocent person who ever lived. When you see somebody who's innocent suffering, doesn't that break your heart? You see a little child going through something horrific, doesn't that break your heart? Here is Jesus, the one who never sinned, the one who literally fulfilled God's law perfectly. Being treated like all of the rapists and all of the murderers and all of the idolaters and all of the greedy all the covetors, all the liars. He's being treated like all of them combined so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther called the great exchange. All our sin on Jesus, all his righteousness on us. So that when God looks at you, despite all of the sinfulness and brokenness that you are well aware of, you're well aware of it, God's well aware of it, but when he looks at you, he looks at you as righteous. J.I. Packer, another English preacher, says it this way, Jesus knew on the cross all the pain, physical and mental that man could inflict and also the divine wrath and rejection that my sins deserve. For he was there in my place making atonement for me. All we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If that first truth would cause our hearts to break in pieces that second truth should cause our hearts to overflow with joy our sins caused his death but in his death we receive life how, how do we do that how are we how are we how do we get in on that the third thing I want you to know about being united with Christ. We are united with Christ by faith alone in Christ alone. A lot of people try a lot of things to make their conscience feel at ease. But the Bible would tell us quite plainly that our only hope is by throwing all of our chips in the middle of the table and saying, I'm going all in on Jesus. I'm placing my faith entirely In Jesus. The reformers would talk about faith. They would talk about how faith is more than just knowing the right information, and that faith is more than just believing that that information is true, but really acting upon it. I've got no other hope. I'm I'm connecting myself up to Jesus. I'm on Team Jesus. There's no other way that I'm going to have my sins forgiven. Great verse in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul summarizes it this way. He says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. A lot of people come to God with this mistaken idea that I have to try really hard and be really good and if I just do enough good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds then God will love me. The Bible says wrong. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. Its Faith is the the tool that God uses to connect you to him. John Owen, a, a Puritan writer and preacher puts it this way. He says, this is what I aim at unless a man be regenerate, that means born again, unless he be a believer, all attempts that he can make for mortification or, or putting sin to death, trying to be a different person, all his attempts, be they never so specious and promising, let him follow them with never so much diligence, earnestness, watchfulness, and intention of mind and spirit are to no purpose kind of old-fashioned language, but what John Owen is saying, unless somebody is is united to Christ by faith, unless they're regenerated, unless they're saved, all of their best attempts at being good are to no purpose. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. It's, It's a waste of time unless you are first united to Christ by faith. And it is only after we have been united to Christ by faith that then We can start to follow in his example. We can pick up our cross and we can follow him. That's the fourth thing I want you to see. We are united with the death of Jesus by doing what he said, by picking up our cross and following him. This is what Jesus himself said, Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. That does not necessarily mean literally take up a cross, although many of the people that Jesus was speaking to did die on a Roman cross like him. But what Jesus is saying is you want things, you have desires, you have all sorts of ways that you want to live life on your terms. Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it dying to our own desires, pleading with God to change us, seeking to model our lives after Christ's example, but the, the order is so important. Please hear me. We only do that after we have been united by faith. John Piper, a pastor and author, puts it very well. He says, Imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. Isn't that good? Christ is not given to us first as model, but as Savior. In the experience of the believer, first comes the pardon of Christ, then the pattern of Christ. In fact, only when we experience the pardon of Christ can he become a pattern for us. Do you know that God wants you to live your life in such a way where you say no to sin more tomorrow than you did today. And you say yes to Jesus more the day after that than you did today. We're united to Christ by faith. And so then we're free to live a new life in him. There's uh, There's a leadership saying, I don't know exactly where it came up recently, but it seemed appropriate in the context of Good Friday. It said, In context of leadership, never let them see you bleed. Anybody ever heard that? Never let them see you bleed. It's actually been used in a lot of movies. Characters, you know, strong characters like James Bond and I think Hercules in a recent movie said that. Never let them see you bleed. You want to lead people, you got to inspire them. Don't let them see your weakness. Don't let them see you hurting. And yet here we have Jesus Christ, the son of God, bleeding publicly, humiliated. Why? For us. How many of you are tired of trying to be strong on your own? Never let them see you bleed. I invite you to Jesus to be united with him in his death. For any of you who are here tonight who are not Christians, my invitation to you, Jesus' invitation to you is see me bleed and know that it was for you. And all of the weaknesses, all of the flaws, all of the sins, all of the failures that you're so ashamed of, let me take them upon myself and instead let me give you my righteousness. And for those of you who already have, have made that step, you are united to Christ by faith. Where is God asking you to, to grow more deeply in your trust in his death for you? That you would be more united with Christ than you were before. So, I want to ask a few questions and I want to have these up on the screen. I want you to think about these and reflect on these questions. Number one, do you see that you are united with Christ's death because you caused it? And does that lead you to repentance? Do you believe that you are united with Christ's death because he stood in your place? And does that lead you to hope and to joy? Number three, quite simply, are you united with Christ's death by faith? Have you made that step? Have you acknowledged your sin, cried out for his mercy? And number four, does the pattern of your life follow Christ's call to die? And I want to invite you to a minute of silent reflection. We'll leave these words up on the screen. And I would just invite you in your heart to ponder these questions. For those of you who are not Christians, this is a great time for you to ask God to forgive you of your sins, to give you this hope, to give you this new life that's promised. For those of you who are Christians, this is a great moment and opportunity for you to ask God to search your heart and show you if there are any areas where he wants you to be more deeply united to him. Let's hold for a moment and ponder these things now. Father God, I thank you that though our sin is great, your grace is greater still. God, if there is anyone here tonight who for the first time prayed a simple prayer, God, asking you to just take their sin and to give them the righteousness of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would overwhelm them right now with a sense of your pardon, your mercy on them, your love for them. God, for anyone here tonight who has as a Christian prayed prayers of repentance, God, I pray you would help them to know that there's no wrath left for them. but There's only grace as we are united with Christ in his death. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we began our time with a corporate prayer of confession of sin, having now confessed our sins and heard the word of the gospel, let me just speak over you an assurance of pardon that those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus can know that you are loved and you are forgiven. I'll pray this and then we'll all say these last words at the end together. Let me read this over you. Hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And let's all say it together. Thanks be to God. Our God is good, amen? We're gonna enter into a time of response now around the Lord's table. So I'd like to invite our communion servers to come forward and get in place if they would. As they get in place, let me read these words from Luke chapter 22 regarding what we're about to celebrate. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is for Christians. If you've trusted in Jesus tonight, you're welcome to join us at the table. If you're a guest or a visitor from another church, you're welcome to join us at the table. And tonight, as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, I pray that God would more deeply unite you in your heart, and your spirit, and your body with Jesus. And I'll invite you to respond when you're ready. There's no need to spring to your feet if you'd like to sit and reflect for a moment before coming forward. The band is gonna lead us in some songs that celebrate the death of Jesus and his resurrection, and the sacrifice, the price that he paid on our behalf. And so let me pray for us. And we'll begin a time of response through song and through a celebration of the table. God, we thank you that though our sins caused the death of Christ, it is in his death we find forgiveness and we find eternal life. I pray tonight you would strengthen our faith as we sing and as we celebrate around this table as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.